Hey, Jordan, how's it going? Hey, what's up? Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty jazzed about this uh, COVID relief package. Uh, it's been a, it's been a kind of a chaotic month, adjusting to this new reality, new administration. But uh, I'm looking forward. That just passed the House. That's going to be a big win. It's going to be a big win for the Biden administration. Going to get there with those, uh, those fourteen hundred dollar checks that were promised. Some other good stuff in there. Uh, and I'm just looking forward to soaking in the the big positive news cycle. All the, of course, everyone's going to be thrilled. Everyone's going to be very happy about it. So I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it. What do you, what do you think about this? Yeah, I was excited when they got the uh, recurring checks out of the way. I don't want any progressives getting any ideas. I was even more excited when I saw we were rolling back the, the check amounts to fourteen hundred. I think the framing around that was brilliant. Just saying, we're continuing the work, extending the down payment, things like that. That's the kind yeah. of messaging that I the think the down just, payment from like five months ago. Yeah, that another yeah. completely different person who is also allegedly exactly. a threat to democracy and bad and he can't do anything good. Uh continuing on that good work that he did. Uh it's just something that's that's yeah. really important and it's going to get us over the edge in, in midterm. So overall pretty inspired. But what's the latest? Well, there was the whole I mean, I was I was, I gotta admit, I was kind of excited about including a a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage in that That's COVID relief package. Yeah, way too high. You think so? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well it was it wasn't phased in for another couple of years, but I I would agree obviously right now you can't just go mm-hmm. ahead and give people, no. you know, living in places like New York City or anywhere like fifteen dollars no. an hour. It's way too it's much. I agree. Chris. Yeah. I did think it was it was okay to do that, you know, later on this decade, but I guess the parliamentarian uh said no. And oh. It would be okay. really a huge mistake to go against. We all we always talk about the parliamentarian, mm-hmm. how important that role is, and how much we need it. to respect that. No, no, you mm-hmm. can never challenge that. So uh, that would just be that would be political suicide. So like you know they, what they say goes, and that's that's just how it how it works. Yeah, nothing we can do. Yeah, I was just wondering because I had also reached out to the Senate parliamentarian about possibly increasing or taking a look at increasing the benefits package for some of the interns here. Um, and they also said no to that as well. So that was something that was kind of was kind of hoping that maybe we could work out with our interns, but again, what they say goes and we can't we can't go against that. Sounds great. parliamentarian <laughs> I think the funniest part about the whole parliamentarian thing <laughs> the uh, the way that there's this because I had never heard about this I had never heard of that in the United States government there's this parliamentarian that makes these decisions but apparently in 2001 when the parliamentarian told the Bush administration that they couldn't do something I think it was involved with their tax cuts I believe and they just fired them and hired someone else that would go along with it which is apparently something you can do, but but Joe Biden doesn't want to. Yeah. I mean, we talk about it later, but it's not, I don't know. It, it shows how hollow this messaging is around the moral imperative to do these types of things. It just, it's, it just fucking I'm gonna blow my brains out because they just, <laughs> they won't fight for anything. They are absolutely fucking like just 
cowardly and weak. You mentioned we did get into this with uh, George and Jesse from Stick to Your Guns. Um, came on to talk to us well, but all this stuff, so we don't need to get into it too much now. But do, do you think, this was one thing that I don't think was settled um, during our conversation with George and Jesse, but do you think that they are fully backing down on this or are they being cagey about it? Do you think there's still a chance that they might fight for this or have they just completely given up, do you think? Uh, I think they're giving up. Hmm. I think they don't want to challenge corporate power. I think they're going to insist that uh, tax penalties for corporations and incentives for small businesses to raise the wage is the way they can enact it because they're not going to be able to get it through outside of reconciliation. They don't have the votes. So there's going to there's going to be unless they uh, killed the filibuster, which they they still which are they also, also there's another thing do. they're not going to do. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's going to be some feeble attempt this way, but that's going to be completely ineffective because, uh, as Jeff Stein pointed out, giant corporations mostly don't employ outside of like Walmart. Mostly don't employ minimum wage workers, and if they do, they hire the best tax accountants uh, and and lawyers in the world. So they're going to find a way around it. And it's going to be completely toothless. It'll be another hollow gesture and just completely just flimsy, thin veneer for Democrats to posture as doing something about the problem that they aren't really willing to, to do. I mean, the problem is corporate power and influence. They don't want to challenge that. They don't want to take on these, these giant corporate entities because they want their donor dollars. That's it. Yeah. So the end result is going to be this fucking meager attempt that just just doesn't end up doing anything. Yeah. So no. Like we've said a couple of times, that was kind of what the, the Democratic primary was about, right? There was one guy that did want to, the Democratic Party to take on that exact power structure. Uh, and as a result, you know, you saw the establishment of the party come together to ensure that that would never happen. Um, and that we're, we're kind of seeing the result of that now. Hey, by the way, it's the Insurgents, episode 60 also. Hello. Hello hey. and welcome. They know what show they're listening to now. I Do would we hope have to, so. We really have to. You've had enough practice. Get <laughs> a whole year of this stuff now. Um, as we mentioned, we got, we've got George and Jesse from Stick to Your Guns coming on in just a few minutes. Is there anything else we wanted to get into or do we just want to dive into that? Because I got to go make dinner soon and like do do stuff. I, yeah, I've got stuff to do as well. It's similarly yeah. important. Like some probably some Magic the Gathering type. You got to update the, the the deck or whatever. Is that what you do with that? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I might make my third coffee of the day, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that sounds good. That sounds good. Okay, well, you know what? Let's just get to George and Jesse. We yeah, talked to let's, let's we talked to those guys for like an hour. Uh, very good conversation. We haven't had George on the show since you two were in uh, were in Nevada. Yeah, uh, a year ago, the last time that any of us felt anything, felt hope or felt good about anything. Uh, it's been quite a wild <laughs> ride since then. Um, yeah, but as you know, if you know this show, you're aware, obviously, that the conversation we had was very positive. And you're going to come away from it feeling very hopeful yeah. and good about everything and the way Full that everything's going in America and internationally as well. <laughs> so we, 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 we talk about it at the end, but obviously these guys are musicians and they do have new music. So I just want to plug at the onset as well. 
Their links are in the show notes. Go check them out if you're into hardcore. They're great. They also have an acoustic album or acoustic EP out just a couple days ago. If you are not into hardcore, they got something for everybody. And their politics are great, as you will hear. Um, but just want to plug at the beginning. Listen to Stick to Your Guns. Lovely guys. We love them. Yeah, nice boys. Yeah, very nice boys. Okay, so let's get to that. Um, George and Jesse from Stick to Your Guns are going to be joining the show right after this. Now we're joined by George Schmitz and Jesse Barnett of Stick to Your Guns. Guys, we open these conversations with the most important question, the most important question you can ask any interview subject. Yeah. Uh, we like to start with a little water cooler talk. Are you guys gamers? <laughs> George uh, is a board gamer. I am a board gamer. That's for sure. Yeah. I think we've gaming. determined that that counts. Yeah. yeah. That counts? I think so. Of course. It's like analog gaming. Yeah, yeah. B- big big board gamer. Uh, actually, birthday was last week. Picked up another couple of games. Got one about uh, the Russian Revolution, which I'm pretty stoked about. So we hate the provisional government, don't we, folks? The, pro- the provisional government's got to go. So. Oh God! I saw that on Instagram. What is it? Uh, it's quite literally. It takes place from February to uh, October, or well, November, depending on the calendar or whatever. But uh, it takes place from February to November, and on one side of the board it's a two-player game and on one side of the board you are uh Zinovia, lenin and stalin and on the other side of the board you are uh kerensky uh kornilov and i forget the other one but you're quite literally just jockeying for control over the government after the czar's been abdicated so <laughs> is it like a turn-based game or is it like like a like a shitler type game uh yeah it's a turn-based game yeah it's a strategy game it's like region control not to get oh. you know, not to talk okay. jargon but <laughs> <laughs> sure In, inside baseball yeah. Interesting. Jesse's a gamer, though. Jesse I'm, Gates. I'm a, I'm a board gamer when George is around, for sure, because he's so passionate and excited about it that it's impossible not to also get excited about it. Um, Savannah uh, is like a massive um, Switch person. Uh, I know she's playing Zelda Breath of the Wild right now, and I watch her do that, and it's it's um, that's something else. And she, she's avoiding beating it because she doesn't want it to end. Um, oh, that's yeah, such so, a unique feeling. Yeah. That's how I thought about Fallout 3. I just didn't want it didn't want it to end. Well, she also she started looking it up online and apparently that's a very common feeling that people <laughs> people are like I'm not I'm just like playing it really slowly now cuz once this ends like they feel like it's going to be hard to live without it. So, but beyond that, anything that's beyond a like Super Nintendo controller, um my brain can't handle. So it's like <laughs> the i can do up down left right and then a b and then even honestly the x y gets a little complicated for me so i see these people with having to use all their fingers on these new controllers and i i just (laughs) no chance just no chance well that's that's when the pc gaming becomes very confusing too with the whole pc gamers prefer the mouse and keyboard and sometimes that that my big fat fingers make that difficult for me to be touching all the different keys and doing that stuff. Absolutely. I'm, I, uh, at night I, uh, we watch whatever we're watching and I do my Sudokus. That's, ah, that's keep the brain it. sharp. Keep the brain sharp right there. That's right, George. That's right. Uh, I don't know if that does count as gaming, but I guess. Yeah. 
My grandpa did it uh, exactly. on, his death, on his deathbed. I don't know if it necessarily counts. <laughs> exactly. I'm an 80-year-old man watching my stories and doing my Sudoku's. <laughs> God. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we had uh, initially talked about having you guys on to kind of do a year in review uh, on the post-Bernie Nevada uh, caucus win. George and I, uh, people, long-time listeners of the show, I remember George was on shortly after. He and I knocked doors together out there. We kind of saw it and experienced it firsthand. Uh, but this week has taken an interesting turn with Biden bombing allegedly uh, Iranian-backed Iraqi militias in Syria, which is a mouthful and also raises questions about uh, the legitimacy of the attack, how they're claiming it is defensive, uh, using uh, the, the AUMF uh, now to do it after years of saying it must be repealed and Trump couldn't uh, act unilaterally when he did it, to wiping out uh, the 15 minimum wage because a parliamentarian told them uh, their opinion on it. Uh, too much more this week. Um, but we're glad you guys are here. Uh, I, I don't know. How are you feeling? <laughs> we, we, we are now a couple months into, or no, a month or so into the Biden administration. Uh, is this what people claimed was the most progressive uh, presidency and platform uh, in recent history? Well, Jordan, your baby brain can't begin to understand something like provocative defense, okay? Your little, your, your little dumb baby brain can't begin to understand something like provocative defense or acting uh, in retaliation, right? you know, for, uh, for, for Iran acting in retaliation, for wantonly assassinating one of their generals unprovoked. So you can't begin to understand that. And second off, I when, the, when the you claim to have a master's in political science, but when <laughs> when the Senate parliamentarian gives his opinion, that carries weight. Lays down the oh. law. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just want to point out parliamentarian is a uh, is a her, and I saw oh, I saw a lot of people a lot of people saying you shouldn't denigrate uh, a random woman, despite that this person now can unilaterally <laughs> spike <laughs> a massive economic proposal. You shouldn't you shouldn't do that. Apparently. Uh, <laughs> I think you just did a you just did a sexism actually. He just so did a no growth, yeah. George. That's unfortunate. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So Yikes. I'm starting off the I'm starting off the cast canceled. Yeah, exactly. No, but you are you are correct though that I think it's pretty it's obviously self defense when you've been illegally occupying another country for <laughs> upwards of two decades <laughs> and then someone someone, you know, attacks you. That's then it's in your defense to then attack them in a different other country that you're not even at war with and you have no no declaration of war or anything with there. Purely so I think defensive. that's pretty yeah, very, very clear rules of engagement. Yeah. I'm like a big military guy, so I know about this kind of stuff. <laughs> as far as I as far as I'm concerned, oh. that's a proportional response. So uh, <laughs> it's yeah. a targeted strike. Um, okay, so jokes aside, pleasantries aside there. Um, yeah, I mean it's worse than I could have ever imagined. Um and I hate it. Uh, and every day I feel like I'm just that uncut gems meme where I, you know, I wake up with some hope that I will read some type of good news for the day. And, you know, then I end up with a fucking bullet in my head. Well, that's funny. It's funny, too, George, because the last time we had you on the show was right after Nevada. And that was the embodiment of the ending of, uh, of uncut gems when, he, when the Celtics win the game and he's all happy right before the actual uh, right before the the 
real ending happens. That was that moment for all of us. Quite we literally, did yeah, we quite did literally gang. also living, leaving Vegas, you know? So like the gambling metaphor is yes. like, is especially yeah. appropriate for that. Uh, yeah, no, I felt good then. And that was the last time I felt good. Uh, and now it's been a year of not feeling good. So... <laughs> Yeah. No, I was going to say, we just actually misunderstood when they said it was the most progressive presidential administration ever. It just meant they really loved insurance companies. That was the name. <laughs> 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 oh, here comes this. Flo on the stage at the DNC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not good. Not very good. <clears throat> Jesse, what about you? I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I check in with George. We have a, you know, we have a our own kind of group chat that we drop funny memes and news articles into every once in a while. And it's, it's hard not to become instantly irate upon, uh, opening your eyes in, in, in America. Um, having said that, I feel, I, I do feel a little bit more hopeful, you know, cause I, I, you know, we're also doing a lot of mutual aid work in, in Los Angeles. And that kind of keeps me, um, uh, it keeps me connected to the community and, and it, and I feel like it's, it's, it's important work that I feel like needs to be done. And, and the amount of people that I see who have become kind of radicalized and realize that maybe there aren't the, the answers that they're looking for maybe aren't in Washington and maybe they're there. Um, it's something as simple as just like going out into the street and, and helping someone who needs help has been like massively eye opening for me. And it kind of helps me like, uh, you know, um, wean off of the constant, <laughs> constant age uh sorry the constant rage that's just makes me itch and um so yeah i mean i i think i've kind of tr tried to decide to focus my uh efforts elsewhere um you know because sure it's probably even worse than we imagined you know because like like kind of george said before it's like you know you, we were hoping that this would kind of be something it's like all right well let's see if you know we get these two people in the in the white house maybe maybe they won't do exactly what they're for sure going to do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's hard not to be, it's hard not to be bitter or be jaded, but that's my, my bitterness and jadedness kind of helped me, um, look other places that have then in turn made me more hopeful. So that, that's kind of where I'm at, I guess. I think, I think you're really getting at something that's important too, is like, if we wanted to take that like cynicism or just being bitter and jaded and just sit and do nothing and like stew on it, like that's all we would have been doing since like we first listened to fucking propaganda when we were fucking 12 or something right. like that, you know, and that's just going to turn you into like a nihilist. So it's about finding ways to like, kind of I like, I guess in a sense, like make that, like you channel that and be productive with it, you know, operationalize it, weaponize it, you know, and, actually try to make material differences for the people that you can affect within your community. Because if I spend all day just, you know, looking at news clippings about what's going on in Washington, like I'm not going to get anywhere except for like, you know, <laughs> well, right. Cause it's, it's honestly like that scene in, in fucking clockwork orange, you know what I mean? Like people in front of their phones constantly just like consuming this like death and trauma and madness it's like you're you're eventually i feel like that's gonna break you no matter how strong-willed an individual is so it's like um you know uh it's 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 good for me to kind of to kind of chase down all of the horribleness with trying to do something good with my fellow comrades out here in los angeles so um yeah Hell that's yeah. kind of kind of what i've been up to and doing 
there's like an emerging field of study within uh, academic levels of mental health and uh, schools of public health on the effects of coronavirus and pandemic related doom scrolling uh, and like the increase in anxiety and depression and suicidal tendencies as a result of just sitting and scrolling right. bad headlines like endlessly. Um, and I, I'm kind of worried about what they're going to find. Um, and I don't think this is going anywhere. Uh, I think this is going to be a new trend. I mean, we have now nationalistic violence out of a perceived love of country. And um, while I don't think we should just take everything the intelligence state says at face value, I mean, there are troubling reports that this is going to continue to fester. So I think like we're like we now have violent factions building uh, in opposition to a perceived unjust election results, and that's going to continue to fuel um a crisis that's ultimately the root of it is, is late stage capitalism and, right. and artificial scarcity of resources. So they're going to be, could be continue to be pitted against one another uh, as power. It's like a t- over a trillion dollars has, <laughs> has consolidated at the top during this entire time. So it's only going to get worse. So I think finding those bright spots within your life is absolutely critical. Yeah, yeah. And Jesse, you hit on something important as well, because I think a lot of people, uh, especially in America, but a, a lot of people around the world uh, became pretty disillusioned with the idea of making political change through electoralism uh, over the last year um, because of what happened with the Bernie campaign and what happened also with the Jeremy Corbyn campaign in the UK. I know that I was as someone that was really heavily closely following these two campaigns, I kind of came away with some of that same um, feeling that like, oh, maybe maybe the idea of like changing these big, uh, incredibly powerful neoliberal parties from within through electoralism, I, I just don't know if it's going to be possible, but you did hit on something important, which is that um, it you still can have a profound impact locally through electoralism and through like local activism and stuff like that. So a, as much as it might be intimidating for people right now, especially considering these sort of missed opportunities of the last year in America and the UK and elsewhere, um, the idea that like it's just impossible to make any impact politically on your local community or your where you live is not really true. And I think that's something that people that that really got got uh pulled into these campaigns and got uh, and were excited about it should keep that in mind as well that it's still possible to make this kind of change just maybe not quite on the massive profound national or international level that maybe we were hoping when this year started or the 2020 started no definitely and I, and i i think that's um i uh, yeah definitely think it's massively important while also introducing people to ideas that they were um previously indoctrinated to to you know equate to Nazism, um, things like socialism and communism. Um, uh, so I, you know, that's, that's, I feel like that's, uh, massively, uh, uplifting for me as, as well. And I've kind of said this, kind of said this to George, but there's an area in Venice where we set up and we, <laughs> while we were setting up, I heard, um, I, I overheard an unhoused person going to each one of the tents to kind of let them know that we were there. And they, they let, they let their, uh, neighbors know that we were there by, uh, going down the street, uh, yelling, the communists are here. The communists are here. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know you're doing something right. Exactly. And yeah, that's when I'm, yes. I'm like, I'm like, you know, there might be a lot of people who hate us based on the fact that we uh, identify as a communist or, uh, you know, some kind of communist leftist organization. But the people down there are going to be defending <laughs> communism with their chest now. So, um, you know, that's good PR for us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah see, what that was is not a mutual aid uh, exercise. That was actually a branding exercise. Right. Um, <laughs> 
So I'm now the uh, head of marketing for all of communism. <laughs> oh, congrats. Wow. You must have radicalized so fast. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I'm actually the CEO. Oh, you know, I don't want to. I'm the CEO of Flex. Oh, got it. Let's, I mean, that's, that's, that's great. And I think it reflects just the importance of um, local leftist organizing across the country. And like, look to, you know, the top down approach, but it's just, it's always going to leave people falling through the cracks or these giant holes in our safety net. Uh, So I think it's absolutely critical and branding be damned and stigma be damned because you're, you're helping you're helping people in your community and despite all the criticisms you don't see fucking ceo of whatever bank uh or or lobbyists or or whomever men most even elected officials in in la especially right uh you're not going to see garcetti out there helping these people so <laughs> well, definitely it, not and it's like you get to know these people and and god forbid should something happen to me it's like i legitimately feel like i can then in turn rely on them you know what i mean so it is yeah. it is very much mutual it's not yeah it's not just me like going and handing out a bunch of shit that i don't want that i found in the back of my closet it's it's we go we talk we ask what the needs of the people are and then we do our best to fulfill and and um uh supply those needs to to uh to them and so and and just you know and and you know it, we talk about this george and i've talked about this a bunch and it's it's unfortunate but these you know i, I feel like we're also changing the I, this idea that people need to have shame um you know it's not this is we 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 say that all the time this isn't our stuff like you don't have to come here and ask us for anything it's it's for the community you don't have to hang your head in shame you don't have to ask if you can have something it's you know and i think that's a massive massive idea that that we or a stigma that i want to try to change is this idea that like you need to you know because you fell on hard times and you need to hang your head in shame and 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 act as if it's 100 completely your fault of what happened to you or or um you know that 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 kind of idea i think really keeps people from getting the help that they need as well, which well, that's is pervasive in America as well, right? right? Like deliberately. Yeah. So like this totally. idea that if you accept any help from the government or anybody, it's this thing that you should feel ashamed of and you should be embarrassed by. Right. And it literally traps people in these cycles of poverty because they're like, not only are the, are the, the mm-hmm. social programs and, and the actual help being diminished over the decades, but there's people that probably could, apply or could qualify for, for benefits that don't because they've, they've been told from the time they were kids that to do so is this sign of like weakness or, or, you know, something to be shamed by. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse, uh, you know, you're doing that thing. Uh, I forget the theorist, but they talked about it. Well, his name escapes me, but it's something about like to the people from the people. It was this like idea of the mass line. Uh, I forget who wrote about it, but he probably wrote some cool stuff about it. Um, but, but what I will say, joking aside about that, what's like, what's so important to me about like mutual aid efforts like that, or, you know, I, I think people like, like to pejoratively kind of dismiss like book clubs or like theory clubs and stuff like that. But to me, what's so important about these like local initiatives or act or actions mm-hmm. is that it shatters the myth or the illusion that you can only, uh, achieve political power or, um, like wield political power uh, through like institutions, like liberal institutions in the state. And I think like mutual aid efforts, um, are what like begin the process of you starting to build power outside of those things. And that's like so important to like treat that like a muscle. Like, you know, you have to like 
you have to, you know, work it out and you have to flex it in order for it to get stronger, you know, and in, in order for you to get better at it. No, definitely. And I think also just making, you know, letting people know that like we, you know, we talk uh, uh, about the like uh, insecurity that is needed in order for your boss to um, uh, basically pay you whatever the fuck that it is that they want. And so it's like to be able to change the game of like having be like offering something to your community where it's like, okay, if their next paycheck doesn't come, then they're at least they're going to be able to eat or have a, or they're going to have shelter or they're going to have clothing or just the basic things that I feel like right. are, are, are involved in, in living a dignified human life on earth. Um, you know, kind of shattering those insecurities for people so that they can then in turn, like stand up and fight and try to unionize or fight back against these, these, um, profit mongering sons of bitches. You know what I'm saying? Cause a lot, I feel like a lot of people, uh, agree with what a lot, you know, it's like, you know, what's that movie, George, um, uh, sorry to, sorry to bother you or sorry for bother. What's the, what's the boots? Sorry. Riding? Yeah. Sorry to bother you. Yeah. I'm sure it's like, I'm sure every worker can agree like, yeah, this situation sucks. But if I like try to unionize and I'll probably get fired and someone else take my job and then I can't pay my rent and then, and then it's just a spiraling into, you know, poverty. Right. Um, and so it's like, or like, I can't unionize because that's, that's commie pinko shit. Right. Like, right told, that's right. really bad. And I can't do that. <laughs> no, totally. Exactly. And so it's like to be able to help like smash those kinds of insecurities or, uh, for, for people so that they can then feel empowered. It's like, it goes back to exactly what you were saying, George. It's like that in it, that in and of itself is also like, uh, um, like grassroots political power for people to have to, to be able to be like, you know what? No, this isn't working for me. And I demand this. Yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, that's like at the forefront of the the, the national conversation now right. with minimum wage. And I was thinking about like the economic precarity that I experienced and friends' experience and classmates' experience growing up in, in Ohio. And in the wake of the crash, I just remember like how many jobs with shitty, basically just shitty terms I accepted because I just needed the money, and everyone was living paycheck to paycheck. And I think like, I couldn't, you know, turn it down. I couldn't be picky, and especially in an area where there is no opportunity, like Youngstown. Like I had friends selling plaid. The only reason I didn't is because I'm like legitimately like unnerved by by needles. I just can't. I can't do it. So like people were selling plasma though, just to oh, get by, yeah. and that's like another multi-hour process out of your day or week to just sit, literally sell your bodily fluid to pay for food or rent. Like that is, think about that. That is so unbelievably grotesque. You're just sucking the life out of somebody yeah, just so they can get by. It's a right. little too on the nose. Um, yeah, you know, in terms and it's of so like fucking common. Yeah, in terms of like actual vampire shit, it's like, oh wow, that's like actual things that happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, just to keep to keep Peter Thiel alive forever. Yeah, or, or that you know seven year old selling selling lemonade so that they can afford their brain uh, surgery. Yeah, exactly, it's just like yeah, yeah. heartwarming story. It's yeah. like this is not heartwarming. Yeah, yeah the, kid, the kids, the kids oh, like working. Some child who is like getting a job to pay off. Uh, student lunch debt for his classmates. Right. Like, with these types of things are always framed in this most bizarre uh, imagery, like heart, like you're saying, heartwarming, inspiring, whatever. But it's just like, it's such a, a, a reflection of how sick and disgusting our society has become that we're so unwilling uh, to create a system that will help everybody who, when we have the resources to do it, this is what we're now thrusting to the forefront as, as acceptable and normal and inspiring. But unfortunately, if you try to change that system in any way, it makes you uh, racist, I guess. So, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Especially now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, too bad. You got to keep keep going with that, I guess. Yeah, exactly. 
So, okay, so one thing I wanted to ask, you're talking about the minimum wage, and we talked about the ways that, that the Biden administration has been, like, really disappointing uh, for people that are more progressive so far. Um, they are, they do seem to be on the verge of passing that COVID relief bill. One thing we've talked about is that the fact that they've caved on certain things, like the the, the $2,000 checks, and they appear to be at least on the verge of caving on, on including a $50 minimum wage on this, has obscured the fact that there is some positive stuff in there that that will help many people, but because they've botched the kind of like uh, rollout of it so much that people are just focusing on the things that aren't in there, I think justifiably. Um, so there is some good stuff in there, but I think the, the big thing from this week was the, the minimum wage thing. So coming from me, so I'm someone that I've been paying fairly close attention to American politics for a number of years now. This is actually the first I have heard of this so this quote unquote parliamentarian uh, individual <laughs> who apparently has immense amounts of power to... Yeah decide what's uh what's possible to do through the through the my understanding is they they decide what's possible through the reconciliation process which only requires 50 votes instead of the new normal of having 60 because of the the filibuster stuff is that right uh yeah i mean i was talking just this morning uh to allison my wife and i was like you're telling me i got 12 years of public school civics and american history classes uh as well as a secondary education i'm majoring in political science and i have not once heard of this mythical parliamentarian <laughs> this person isn't real and the thing is like the, the daily poster and david Serretta. Uh, and AJ Perez did a good um, uh, Ariander Perez did a good piece on this breaking down what it is it's a recommendation to whoever presides over the Senate for this vote which because it's going to probably be tight it's going to be Kamala Harris so it is a recommendation that she can either accept or ignore and if she ignores it they just need a simple majority to pass they need 60 votes to overrule what she decides so there's a now there's now a push for Bernie to not cap, like capitulate to what they're saying, which is oh we're not going to challenge the parliamentarian to keep it in the bill, which would then require Kamala Harris to remove it from the actual bill, uh, remove the fifteen dollar minimum wage component instead of this piecemeal you know tax and incentive structure that I'm sure Third Way would love. Um, it's going to be entirely toothless and ineffective, but keeping it in there would require then Kamala Harris to take it out. This is the dumbest thing ever. Like it's incredibly like, stupid. Yes. Yeah, this is just stupid. Like all of this shit is made up nonsense. I don't like <laughs> I just don't give a shit. Pass the bill. You have control of the gut. like you have control of two yeah. branches of the government, both of the houses. But you know, you've both also got two, got two Democratic senators saying no, so that means you gotta you gotta do exactly what they say. It's fucking insane. My understanding. It's, it's on the heels of four years of Republicans just literally literally rewriting the rules to do what they want. They changed the standard for Supreme Court justices so they could do it. Uh, they can get justices through with 51 votes. They're, they showed you what you're up against. And now there's all this pearl clutching over like, well, what if Republicans do? Who cares? This is where when you want to trot out that kind of moral pandering, like, you know, sometimes laws are unjust and and, and all this. And we're going to see it next week on the anniversary of Bloody Good Sunday. Good trouble. Yeah. Good trouble. Yeah. Necessary trouble. And they are unwilling to challenge a blatantly hollow uh, norm right now. I, I know Jesse has something to say because there's a good trouble story emerging out of LA today. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. 
um, I don't know if you were done, but you were, you were crushing it. I was just, I'm just like, I feel like I'm listening to the, I mean, I, I, mean, I am, but I'm listening to the podcast in real time. I'm like, man, this is great. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the good trouble shit, man, with the, with the LAPD, it's just like, <laughs> I went took, I went and took blue on a walk and I came back and Sav was getting ready to just fucking lose her mind. But, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't expect anything less from the LAPD. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I, it's like the most disgusting display of, Oh, it's just, it was just, the whole thing is just yucky, but their whole, um, March that they're doing for, what was it for, um, you know, a cultural sensitivity or whatever the yeah, fuck from blue, blue cultural sensitivity. Yeah, or something blue like that. Ribbon. Jesus. It's just like, well, okay, but, just stop killing people. You know what I mean? Like just, you don't have to do the March. That would you know be the I mean? simple explanation, I think. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and that they just can't seem to be, to be doing that. But, uh, you know, but also to weigh in on the $15 thing, it's just, and, and I don't, you know, I'm not trying to be the, 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 the leftist guy who's constantly trying to like, well, actually, but it's just, it's, it's that to me, that's not enough money. It, you know, no, it's like, it's I, not, I know that I yeah, know that I know that it'll drastically change people's lives instantly. And I'm all for that. But it's just like, okay, then we're going to do that. And then what? We're going to have to wait another, you know, $15 was brought up originally, what, a decade ago? Um, yeah. And, you know, it's just, then they're going to pass the $15 minimum wage. And people are going to go, oh, wait, this isn't what we thought. And they're going, well, we just gave you that. So you got to wait another 20 years for it to be, you know, it's just like, so that's, you know, that's my, that's my stance on it. Obviously, yeah, let's do what we got to do to fucking just get the stupid fucking thing passed. And, 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 um, you know, that's. But I think, yeah, I think that is a good point, though, which is that a $15 per hour minimum wage is still, that's still a poverty wage for most major urban centers in the United States. Yes. Um, and the idea that, like, maybe we can get this done in, in eight years or right. it is, is like, because then <laughs> at that point, it's going to be just insulting, the idea that that's going to be anywhere near enough for anyone to um, eke out a living from. And another thing that we've talk, been talking about lately, which is important to keep in mind when you talk about changing the minimum wage at some point later on in this decade that is like in a possible future when you see um the reach of these tech companies and the gig economy and the independent contractor business model is going to uh spread like nationally and internationally and less and less people are going to have even access to that substandard minimum wage and they're going to have even less labor yep. protection so they, like the, the idea that that's something that's like going to be some transformative in any way of course it's going to help many people but it's nowhere near uh enough to ensure that like people are going to be able to have access to an actual living wage um that's actually guaranteed later on in the decade i mean that's it's completely nowhere near enough to to get to that point yeah the hollowing out uh, of the american workforce especially like during uh the pandemic the reliance on uh serve the service industry and gig economy for people to even just get supplies at the onset was just a massive con like transfer of wealth from the working class and the middle class to you know billionaires and oligarchs like the, like i said earlier it was like over one trillion dollars has already now consolidated consolidated at the top just during the pandemic and that reliance on things like amazon and instacart and uber uh, to get food and water uh toiletries whatever just to survive to keep yourself safe basically hollows out local infrastructure, local businesses, any other sort of mom and pop shop. And now Bezos stands to just control uh, everything going forward. Um, the effects are going to be long lasting. And I don't know how we're going to get back from that when they so 
insidiously <clears throat> manipulate cultural terms and language to beat back any attempts to regulate them or their power and control because it's always like it's all you know they use diversity as a cudgel and it's completely inauthentic and tokenizing in how they do it and because these industries prey on black and brown people around the country and because of how they put these people in unsafe situations in their warehouses or as drivers um, you can see just how meaningless this is but these corporate interests and these corporate uh, entities have such control over the, Dem the Democratic Party and the, the related establishment that they are now like insulating themselves. And now we're, we're seeing a rise on the right and this hollow populist rhetoric to talk about the control of these giant tech companies, these giant corporations have over society. And if they win on that language, the end result is this fascist, hollow right wing populist movement that will ultimately put black and brown people on the front lines. Yeah, which of course they will win on that. They will win on that rhetoric because it appeals to uh, the uh, you know the fucking the the white supremacist settler colonial project that these people want to ultimately carry out. You know, and they want mm -hmm. they they themselves want to have uh, control of the state machinery. So they like you know they can make these uh, demagogues out of like you know Musk and Bezos and Google and like big tech and everything like that. And it can like couch itself in, like you said, populist rhetoric. It can frame itself as being like, you know, anti, um, like anti cosmopolitan or, you know, anti bourgeoisie, but that does not mean it is anti capitalist. You know, they mm -hmm. just want, they just want to crack down on things and get back, it get back to a point where they have control over the monopoly capital or they have control over the means, you know? Um, yep. but, I like two things that I wanted to follow up on there is one, uh, like fucking radical or revolutionary language that got co-opted by liberals for all four years. Like how <laughs> fucking funny is this, you know, to see these motherfuckers out here being like Rosa Luxemburg once said that revolutions seem impossible until they happen and then they're inevitable. Uh, and then, Oh, Oh wait. Oh, I'm sorry. The Senate parliamentarian said no. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually these child detention detention facilities are quite nice actually. So <laughs> let's all just calm down about this. Around. Yeah. So uh, I just think that's like, that's never not going to be like incredibly frustrating for me. Uh, you know, talking like fucking when RBG died and it was like, you know, we're going to march on the Supreme Court. And then it's like, oh, everyone left. OK, we're, we're done. Like time to go home. Uh, I, I, you know, Amy Coney Barrett, let's get you approved. You know, that's the rules. We got to respect the rules. Um, so that's the limits of liberalism that I'm always just getting a kick out of there. Um, but then I, I think, too, on top of that, like speaking about um, the consolidation of like wealth uh, during the pandemic, um, something that's like often I feel like neglected or not talked about enough is like how, you know, black and, uh, indigenous people of color, uh, populations that were disproportionately affected and exposed to COVID, uh, and how like death rates amongst these, uh, groups were higher, um, than other groups and how this is just something that's like not going to be acknowledged. Um, mm -hmm. and also prisoners as well. Yeah. Also oh, yeah. prisoners as well. Yeah. It's like, it's something that like, we're just going to try to put in our rear, like libs are going to try to put in the rear view and just like move forward and not act as though like there wasn't like a, like a form of eugenics taking place every day outside, uh, uh you know, outside of the, the, the people's homes that were privileged enough to, to work from home. Um, yeah. And I, I'm thinking on my feet here talking about it, but it's something that like sits with me and like really just, uh, 
really just makes me feel despondent. Yeah. Well, I remember in the early days of the Obama era, um, that was a really radicalizing kind of realization for me because it was a lot of the same thing where the way that liberals who during the George Bush era, the, the exact phenomenon that you're describing, were kind of by the end of the George W. Bush era, were kind of styling themselves to these like anti-war revolutionaries um, and with all these like these like very concrete values about about interventionism and imperialism and human rights. And then as soon as Obama started this like brutal drone campaign and the, the corpses started stacking up from Obama's like kind of benevolent imperialism and just they immediately just forgot about their opposition to such things or just like they they immediately kind of changed their minds to be like oh when our guy does it you know it's okay he's doing it from a place of you know respect and intelligence uh not like that other guy <laughs> and that was also a moment yeah. for me where i realized like okay so these liberals are not really like on our side here like they don't really have act <laughs> they don't really have actually what we call values you know it's more just a bit of team support to them where they're opposed to certain things when it's the other guy doing it uh but what they're opposed to is like their their political uh leadership being in the wilderness and not having power and once they have power they don't actually have these values that they they claim to hold so dearly uh, just a few months or years ago yeah absolutely um uh, you, you mentioned at the onset of the pandemic there was you know black and indigenous people who were on the front lines um and got sick and, and died and they were mostly in quote, essential work, and they were underpaid, had probably had no benefits or, or inadequate benefits. Uh, another area where we saw this really wreak havoc was family detention centers and uh, center and facilities, or I'm sorry, cages rather, for uh, immigrants and undocumented people and uh, however, whatever phrase you want to use. And that was framed as bad, as immoral, as abhorrent. And then Biden took power. And even as they are crying for help, and there are reports of them crying for help, uh, as the power is out in, in Texas, as, as COVID is still impacting them there, uh, we are then told by uh, the president's press secretary, by uh, the liberal defense brigade, that this is okay now, that they've added a soccer field and, a, uh, and butterflies to the wall to these, these, these basically family and child prisons. And it says Bienvenidos uh, the on the way in as well, which is very oh, that's awesome. Work will yeah. set you free. It's big, big letters. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's, it's, but yeah, we're seeing a complete and total 180 now that, that Biden is doing it and he's breaking promises and the groups that were championed by liberals races is there. It has been on the border for years before it was trendy to care about them is saying he's breaking his promises. This is still happening and this is abhorrent and he can shut this down and he's not doing it. And people are just sharing tweets like uh, there's a lot of people who just don't quite get the nuance about this after <laughs> just sweeping dismissals yeah. and generalizations during the Trump era. era. And it's, it's extremely disgusting. There's a, there is a, 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 a basically a talking point where they're splitting hairs and saying, well, actually, these kids are um, in, uh, under HHS supervision now and that that's a lot better than cbp and ice well no there's still kids who are just detained with their parents or their mom in ice and cbp custody it's not just unaccompanied kids that's one segment of it but they're still putting kids in in effectively prison with their moms just for seeking asylum this is the process you have to wait in these prisons basically as you prepare for your credible fear interview and nobody's talking about that they want to focus on one aspect of it because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about this was new to them in the trump era and this has preceded trump this was obama and biden's doing 
And now this problem lingers, and they don't want they don't want to talk about people who are still put in jail and prison with their moms. It's it's disgusting. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a fresh coat of paint on the rot. You know, we got the blue coat right. now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I. I, I don't want to monopolize the time here, so like I, I I'd love for Jesse to to get Jesse's thoughts on it, but um I'm sure everyone listening to this cast has probably seen that fucking sixty seventh tweet thread or whatever the fuck it is <laughs> of of that lady like you know breaking down step by step like here's actually hey, what y'all. like life on the go. ground looks like for these facilities um and uh you know for you and I you know for you and I you for you and I us white settlers we might look at that and be like ooh that doesn't look good but actually you know for these folks it's not so bad um yeah that one just full joker at that point like i (laughs) you know do not do not resuscitate my head is in the fucking oven like are you kidding me (laughs) well yeah and 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 also like um i mean it's still fuck ice you know it's like forever i don't care who's in charge um so you know that's to me is ultimately the problem, and, and we see it so much here in, in LA. You know, you got you got ice swarming Koreatown, you have ice uh, swarming Chinatown, you have ice swarming little Tokyo, you have ice swarming little Armenia, you have ice swarming pretty much I- anywhere that they think that is going to be people that they can, you know, uh, uh, who who are you know not who they they deem as second class, um, and so you know regardless of of the i mean not regardless of of the the you know the change of the name from cages under trump to you know migrant facilities under biden it's it's still absolutely fucking disgusting what these people do to just it's they're hunting that's what it is ice still goes around los angeles hunting people um yeah and i think also people underestimate when you feel like your community is under military occupation like that and you're constantly looking over your shoulder you know that's like no way to live at the same time like even the people that are not uh, that are that are documented or have that have to live under this kind of like pre- right. relentless pressure i mean that's a that's like a form of abuse like constant absolutely. abuse that you're under anyways but even if you're not being rounded up and put into the into the trucks no absolutely and then you 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 constantly hear about people being fucking deported to places that they've never been before you know yeah, what yeah. i mean and it's just like it's just yeah it's fucking it's fucking ridiculous and um you know, we, we, we have so many, you know, like we said, there's so many people have been radicalized here in LA, which is great. And we have a lot of, you know, we got ground game, you got street watch and you have obviously SRA and things like that. And who are all communicating with one another and, um, you know, Koreatown, uh, popular assembly assembly. And, you know, everyone's trying to in, be in contact with one another. And if, you know, there's, there's actions that you can go to, to, if, if you see ice and try to put yourself in the way of that, um, you know, and that's a great start or whatever, but I just don't, I don't, it's like, it's like you said, it's like Biden can stop it anytime he wants and decides not to that. Ultimately, that's, I think the, the thing that needs to be said, you know, not, not how nice can you make the prisons, but he yeah. can stop it at any time and decides not to. So, okay. And correct yeah. me if I'm wrong here, but okay. So my understanding was that Biden had promised, uh, no deportations in the first hundred days of his administration. I know there's already been like several thousand, yeah. but like, didn't he, and like, am I wrong here that he, he literally told ice not to carry out these activities and not to carry out these deportations. And they just completely ignored that. And then if stay, instead of saying like, Hey, what, what's going on with that? Why is this federal agency ignoring this directive from the executive branch? They were kind of just like, Oh, okay, well just continue, I guess. And is that like, is, is that what happened? Like, am I crazy? I mean, uh, I I can't make sense of like what he did and didn't promise. 
So I, I'm not an authority he, he there. He like a bro- during the campaign, he had promised uh, no deportations in the first hundred days, and then when he got you know and signed an executive order, <laughs> it was a huge asterisk except for certain populations. Yes, ICE also uh, <laughs> um, ignored him, which easy way to resolve that is just abolish it but he doesn't want to do that they're just telling him no and he's kind of going oh okay all right whatever yeah and to me i think know. it's like pro- kind of problematic that you have this gestapo like federal agency <laughs> yeah. that's completely like uh gone renegade and takes no like <laughs> direction right. from like the executive branch of the government but you know i'm, I'm not like this political genius so i guess maybe <laughs> I'm, i don't know maybe I'm mistaken. who's to really say there you know yeah <laughs> That could and go either United way. we dream. I think we talked about it last week, though. But United we dream has a tracker um, on their site tracking deportations, and it's tough to get an exact calculation. ICE doesn't even keep track or or tell people. Uh, you know, opaque institution again. Just fucking abolish it and problem solved. And they've got at least twenty six thousand people have already been deported, and it's just it, 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 you, I'm reminded of that moment. It's like a staggering number. Yeah, it's horrifying. It, it, this this in one month, <laughs> in one month, and yeah. I, I'm reminded of uh, that moment in the campaign where the guy was like, "Will you promise to end deportations?" And Biden just told him to vote for Trump. It's like, okay, obviously don't <laughs> vote for Trump, but that's that's just his response to a very well-meaning question. Yeah. And now we're seeing the legitimacy of it when liberals were attacking him as a plant or as a whatever. This is this is why this is why he was concerned and he was right to be concerned. Hundred percent. I mean, it's a like like the theme of these conversations has been kind of like a trolley problem. You know, he could pull the lever at any point and he doesn't. You know, and we might get that fresh coat of paint. It might be like a kinder, gentler face. Um, you know, on like a, a project of you know white settler colonialism. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the the function and the foundation still remains intact. Um, and it's not going to change the purpose that it serves. Um, unless it's like abolished, like you said, and he's not going to do it because he has a vested interest in making sure that he doesn't do it. So, uh, I don't know what to say there. Well, <laughs> and you see the fucking uh, sickness of America as well. When you have like this, you have ice carrying out these deportations deporting people to places like Haiti and Haiti is incredibly destabilized right now. People in Haiti are like uprising and protesting relentlessly against the like neoliberal puppet government of the United States there yeah. uh, that they've kept in power uh, through their own kind of machinations. So it's com- incredibly destabilized. And then I, in domestically, then they're now deporting people, Haitians into that chaotic scenario that they're also creating there. And it's just like, it's, it's just like unbelievable the ways that they're, they're, uh, you know, fucking with people's lives, uh, both domestically and internationally. And in some, in sometimes both solidarity, the Haitian people though. Yeah, straight yeah absolutely. Love I to th- see it. I think another thing to, you know, uh, Jordan, you said earlier, uh, I can't really remember the context in which you said it, but you said something about the long lasting effects of, I mean, pretty much all of this. And that's, I feel like is that, that is, something to be um, noted as well with, with all of these things. Cause even if, you know, ice was to be abolished tomorrow, it's like these people will now be living with this shit for the rest of their lives. It's like, even, you know, my mom's still dealing with the, with the, the housing market bullshit from 2008. And I think that a lot of that people think like, Oh, you know, we, we make these incremental changes and we go like, okay, well, yeah, we made a mistake, but see, it's not, it's, that's not the case anymore, but it's like, these people still have to live with the repercussions of this, of these, 
of these uh, things that we put into place. And, and, and I feel like that's, that's something that doesn't really get talked about too often is, is, you know, should some unjust thing be overturned? It's like, you know, that's, that's great. Um, but to the people who had to deal with said unjust law or unjust, uh, deportation or whatever it is, it's like, that doesn't just erase it. You know, it's, these are things that these people have to deal with now forever. Um, you know, and that's, that's, uh, that should be taken into account. Um, cause yeah, all too often it doesn't, you know, yeah. and, and you know, it's great. It's even just like, you know, there's people that we, that we're, you know, f- feeding over in Venice who are, who, who say to me like, yeah, I was, I was in an apartment a month ago. Um, God, and now I'm on the street, but that, you know, they're just incredibly grateful to have one another. Um, cause you know, every community is coming so, so, uh, close together now. And, and, and it's, you know, it's cool and it's, it's nice to, to see, and it is a little bit uplifting and hopeful, but you know, um, should these people somehow find the means to get back, uh, some sort of semblance of a, of a dignified life, it's like, they're still going to have to be dealing with those traumatic events for, for a while. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what we, what we can do about that. And I don't really know why exactly I was saying that, but you know, um, <laughs> yeah, something, I just, yep. just something to be said, I think. You bring up a very good point though, in like making sure that, you know, not only are the injuries addressed, but the injuries need to be redressed. Right. Um, right. and you know, um, whether that be, you know, through some type of reparations, um, you know, that's totally. obviously, uh, that's obviously something that we need to figure out in the process and it needs to be grounded and centered in our approaches to the, to these things. Um, because, you know, we should be practicing like prefigurative politics, um, you know, not to go like theory class on everybody, but <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. The, I was thinking a couple of days ago, there was a sensational story in my hometown during the Trump era, this guy, uh, Amir Adi who was a, just a local convenience store owner. And it was like a staple downtown Youngstown. It was also like the spot in college after the bars closed, people would go get falafel or with shawarma or whatever. And it was great. It, he was just like wrongfully targeted during, it was like a really deliberate thing. They said that his uh, initial marriage that got him citizenship in like the eighties was fraudulent. And his wife, his ex-wife then was even like, no, what are you talking about? No, it wasn't. And they still deported him anyways. Family life completely upended. And I was talking to a buddy who used to date one of his daughters a couple of nights ago. And it's like, is he going to come back? Does he get to come back? And just, no, he's just gone forever. Separated Jesus. from his kids. His kids would need to go to Jordan to see him or move there or be with him. He can't come back. And it's just, there's no meaningful program or policy to restore all the unjust deportations, restore the families that were separated by deportations during the Trump era. And even just now under Biden, these 26 some thousand people, do they get to come back or are they just gone forever? And there's they just they're going to throw up their hands and be like, well, it's too difficult. We don't know where they went. No, you ran because you wanted to take control of this machine. I mean, that's what it should be. But ultimately, it's just because Biden wants the prestige. Biden wants that for his own you know, CV. Just he wants that legacy. But Third no, when you're charm. running, yeah, right. When you're running to to take control of this giant machine, there should be a moral obligation to work to, like you said, redress some of these past wrongs, but there isn't any, and we don't seem to care. It's, it's now people want to turn a blind eye to it because it's their team now in charge. And that's exactly, yeah, that's the, the fanaticism of, of, uh, of all this is what, um, is, is such a bummer just like, okay, well, it's my team. And now I have to, now I have to, uh, support them blindly. It just seems absolutely ridiculous to me. 
Yeah, couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, well, I, just, I don't know how to get through to these people, too. It's just like, you don't have to make excuses for this. Like, you, <laughs> if, you can actually just try and care about an issue and then just continue caring about it, uh, regardless of who's in charge. But it's a weird thing to try and uh, get across to people. They don't seem to quite understand this basic concept. Um, I think that... Okay, so CPAC is going on right now, the Conservative Political Action Conference. <laughs> I think that's what it's called. Um, I think that's the acronym. I believe Trump is supposed to speak tomorrow. There's kind of rumors that he's going to announce that he's running in 2024 tomorrow. Um, and with with the way that Biden is kind of like uh, dropping the ball and not delivering on the kind of like FDR-like presidency that this needs to be in order to avert total disaster, you can kind of start to see the story being written for what's going to happen in the next couple of years. Obviously, anything can happen over the next four or five years, so it's like I don't think anything's like determined, but that I think is the really scary thing, which is that not only have uh, have the Democrats taken over and a lot of these... these uh, institutional problems are just continuing to fester and get worse and the liberals that claim to care about it are not doing anything about it but you can see this possible future now where even this brief moment where they have power to make these changes is going to slip away soon and that's the kind of scary thing about america at the moment is just that like there's not a whole lot of time on the clock to ensure that that like possible nightmare future of an even of an even more unhinged right-wing movement uh taking over the taking over the government in the next couple of years that's the kind of like thing that makes i think everyone nervous that's been paying attention to this stuff yeah i'm not like uh like i'm not you know some one to be uh uh practicing any type of like fatalist uh like thinking um but i i see that as like an inevitability at this at, at this point um that there will be uh you know a uh either a second Trump presidency or just, you know, an, an, another right-wing psychopath, you know, another another fascist that uh, gets to assume the mantle, overt fascist, I should say. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's a collision course at this point. Um, you know, it's a, a dying empire and uh, this place is just in a permanent state of decay and degradation. And the only way out of it, I mean, it's the choice that it's always been. It's either socialism or barbarism. Uh, and so, you know, what are we going to choose here? Uh, is it going to be this slow descent into barbarism or are we going to go just like full mask off, just full, <laughs> full tilt paddle on the floor? Uh, you know, I mean, that seems like the options that they want to give us. Um, but you know, I reject that and I would like to choose the other one. <laughs> That's just my thoughts. Very controversial. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> Uh, well, one thing one thing that is clear from CPAC though is that it's the Republican Party still is very much Donald Trump's party. Hell um, yeah, it's a pretty like aged crowd. It's a lot of gam gams in there in the in the CPAC audience. But the thing that really gets them well, it doesn't really get them out of their seats because they're pretty stuck to the seats. But when any mention of Trump or any mention of you know Trump still, still should have won the election or and on that stuff, those were the big applause lines from what I was watching. Gets the um, pop. Oh yeah, that was getting the big pops from Get the a- CPAC crowd, and they had the big golden idol stat Trump statue in there. <laughs> and so just good. like, oh boy, this is not. Tr- yeah, Trump's going to come out to great. a Ro- Trump's going to come out to a Road Warriors pop when he takes the stage. You know, it's yeah. been a month since people saw him. The place is going to come unhinged. Like glass is going to gl- shatter. Yeah, cue oh, the wow, glass that's break. Trump's music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I get this definitely. now. I, I understand yeah. wrestling terms now. Thank you to Tom Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's honestly, it's even if you don't watch wrestling or like it, it is handy to know these terms about like <laughs> kayfabe and, and you know, <laughs> yes, it yeah. is faces and heels and stuff because it helps yeah. you understand in politics, especially American politics. Yeah. Um, There's a whole chapter in Hedges' Empire of Illusion that's like about the similarities in, between wrestling and politics, and it's just like read it, kind of like okay, interesting, and now it's like oh fuck, I just should have paid more attention to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely still his party, though, for sure. Um, that that much is certain. I do want to. We, we've been going for a bit, but I do want to talk about the meeting remains and Hostel of Victoria, the the the, the single you guys did uh, for Victor Yara. So, uh, most recent EP came out about ten days ago. The meaning remains. It's an acoustic. Really shows off uh, Jesse's talents. Uh, when he's not screaming, um, but it's great. And it's like, if you're familiar with Jesse's solo work, which is also really great, um, it's it's more of that. So so you guys have been unable to tour. Plans have been put on pause for so much, um, but you were able to put this together. Uh, if people are unfamiliar, what is it? So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an acoustic EP, basically. Um, of course, the label hit me up. It was like, hey, just just do some acoustic songs. And they don't really realize what's required of that. Uh, for those of, of the, those people who know what Secure Guns sounds like normally, uh, <laughs> trying to translate those into acoustic songs is not necessarily an easy task. It's basically like rewriting the whole song. First of all, you have to deconstruct it, and then you have to rewrite it. Um, and so that was a bit a bit challenging. But, you know, given the fact that I'm kind of – I mean, I don't want to say I'm sitting around and still, you know, I run a record label and do all sorts of other things. But um, – I was up for the challenge definitely. And I, I thought it was a, I think the whole band agreed it was, you know, we're sitting on a record. Um, and you know, we didn't think that it was the, the correct time to release, uh, the record. So we just wanted to put something out that kind of like hold people over. Um, and people seem to actually in, in, enjoy it a lot more than, than I kind of thought they would. So that was, that was a nice surprise. Um, I mean, I knew the Germans would like it cause they like, <laughs> anything we do <laughs> because like you guys are like gods there so <laughs> let's not but, say uh, anything we can't take back let's right. you know <laughs> come, on, come on now <laughs> i want to be a little bit you more self you guys do well in germany that's that's, yeah. that's fair yeah i mean look i'm humble everywhere else in my life but not when it comes to stick to your guns in germany um <laughs> no i'm just kidding but uh yeah so it, i don't know it just it kind of it did really well we got to uh, cover uh take on me which was fully george's brainchild um <laughs> that that you know translated <laughs> translated very well and we added a saxophone in there for for like which we thought would just be humorous and it ended up just being <laughs> awesome works. um <laughs> but yeah no it was it was a good time and um yeah and uh yeah, I think that's that's about it. Unless you had any other questions specifically, well, you want to you want to talk about Hasta uh, La Victoria? Oh yeah, and that was another song um, that we had kind of written. We wrote that in the studio, right, George? Yep. Yeah, and so we we had the idea of doing it in the studio, and and I think the reason it didn't really make the record was a we had like a whole grip of songs that we just felt like took precedent and priority um, that were a little bit more well put together before we got into the studio. So they, they were a little bit like further along than this one. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, we wrote that one in the studio and, and, you know, Victor Yara, someone is for those people who are familiar with his story is just like a, a, a brutal one, but the, the, for what his music did for the Chilean people, I think is, is such an amazing story. And so we kind of just wanted to pay tribute to, to him and to, um, you know, what 
the the history of of Chile and the history of Victor and and Salvador Allende and and uh, the struggle uh, for socialism in 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 Chile. Yeah, uh, just a brutal uh, coup there at the hands of the <laughs> fucking CIA. Uh, the, but you guys raised money for bail funds or or, or mutual aid organizations. Was that it? When, when selling this on Bandcamp? Yeah, correct. Um, I don't think we, I mean, I think it's still sitting on Bandcamp and still collecting some money. I don't, I don't know if we've ever even collected the money and, and donated it yet. I know we were, there was like some back and forth between where it was going to go, but, um, yeah, it's, I think we decided, um, to donate to, uh, mutual aid organizations and, and, um, yeah. And so th- I think that was, that was a cool, uh, a cool thing. And you can really only get it on Bandcamp. You can't really get it anywhere. I think it's on YouTube maybe, but, um, yeah. but yeah. Nice. We'll, we'll drop that link in the in the show notes. Yes, please do. Well, guys, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having We're us on. To have you, of course. So outside of uh, the single uh, uh, or this demo on Bandcamp and the album on Spotify or or wherever, maybe spot, maybe not Spotify doesn't pay you guys enough. But uh, where can people find uh, you guys, your your commentary, and stick to your guns at large? Oh, you know, we're on all the all the usual sites, the the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook. Um, not as active these days, um, but I'm sure that's about to, <laughs> you know, kick back kick back up. Um, you know, with us maybe you know getting some things in the works for this new record that we've been sitting on um, for a minute. So uh, you know, be looking out there. It's at stygoc. Uh, on all the relevant social networks. Uh, we do have a podcast. We don't really do it much anymore, um, but that's mostly because I'm fucking swamped with George had to go to school, so... Wow. <laughs> yeah. His priorities, George. <laughs> fucking nerd. Uh, yeah. That's not, rock. that's not rock and roll, man. Next time you're going to be telling you're wearing comfy rock shoes. And roll. <laughs> it is not rock and roll, let me tell you what. Um, yeah, that's a that's been a whirlwind experience. Uh, so if you want to have me back on to talk about, you know... Coming in to get a poli sci degree School. after you've been yeah. fully radicalized. Uh, that's quite an experience. <laughs> well, I hear um, the day to day, which is great, especially when you're doing foreign relations classes. That's yeah. that's that's very funny to hear about. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we do have a podcast. It's called the Against Them All podcast. Uh, there's some funny episodes. Uh, so, you know, maybe you can check it out on all the relevant uh, podcast platforms. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you guys. Appreciate you, gentlemen. Thanks a thank lot, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. <laughs>